Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the WFIU-WTIU news team. We're doing our show remotely today. I'll get into that a little bit more in a, in a few minutes, but we're, we're being joined. We're talking about coronavirus, and we're going to be joined by uh, Mayor John Hamilton from Bloomington and uh, Julie Thomas, the president of the Monroe County Board of Commissioners as well as Dr. Tom Rismalis, an MD from IU Health Southern Indiana Physicians. He specializes in infectious disease. Sarah Whitmire is joining me as a co-host today from her home. I'm uh, stuck at my home and all three of the other guests are, are uh, stuck where they are. They're doing, they're doing their, their jobs. They're all doing things remotely. So thank goodness for Google Hangouts and for Zoom and for the great minds at WFIU who've put this uh, out on the air for you all today. So thank you all and thanks for joining us. If you have uh, questions or comments today, you can't call us, but you can get a hold of us by sending us a note on Twitter at Noon Edition, or you can also send questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. So I want to ask Dr. Tom Rasmalis first. He was on the show with us a few weeks ago, and I just wanted to get an update on uh, where you think this disease is at this point, Dr. Osmalis, you know, how it's progressed, has it progressed the way that you thought it would from the last time we talked? Well, um, I think that it has as much as people could predict um, the uh, epidemic that started in China and then spread to other countries, you know, most notably South Korea and Italy and so forth, certainly has continued to spread to m most other countries throughout the world. I, I was looking on the uh, website this morning, and I think there are over 500,000 cases uh, worldwide, and we've surpassed here in the United States 85,000, um, which is, uh, which is uh, quite a bit, and certainly some areas in the country being especially hard hit especially the large metropolitan areas uh, in New York, on the East Coast, uh, in New Orleans, and so forth. I think uh, those areas are uh, really bearing the brunt of this uh, right at the present time. Here in Indiana, um, uh, as of this morning, I believe we were at 981 cases statewide. Uh, and if you look, most of those are in the Marion County area. I mean, 480 some were in Marion County and another 150 cases in the county surrounding it. Um, here in Bloomington, uh, uh, in Monroe County, uh, from the State Board of Health you know, website, this data is all published. We've had eight confirmed cases here in Monroe County, but several cases also in the surrounding counties uh, that, uh, that we help. Uh, take care of. I think there are five down in Lawrence County and a couple over in Brown County and down to Orange County and so forth. And so we're seeing an increased number of cases, um, but uh, 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 certainly not like what's being seen in, in large cities uh, throughout the rest of the United States. Uh, All right. So your, your, your advice, I assume, remains the same, that people should be social distancing and washing their hands and all those, all those things you've talked about before? Yeah, I think I, I think so. I, it's interesting that I believe that we were, uh, because of our location in the country, we were somewhat late in, in getting the coronavirus to spread to our location. And we were a little bit earlier, uh, therefore, on the curve, earlier on the curve in starting some of the social isolation, stay-at-home uh, orders. And I think that will probably serve us well uh, in terms of blunting our number of cases, so-called so flattening the curve, at least here in Indiana. Um, 
Okay, well, I want to bring in um, Mayor John Hamilton and County Commissioner's President Julie Thomas. Um, I want to ask you to talk about, you know, some of the, the steps that you've taken for government to address this. But first, before I do, I want to ask you, I mean, do, do each of you have a, you know, a Dr. Fauci who you're talking to every day? Do you have physicians that you're relying on to make your, your judgments and your decisions? John? Well, uh, thanks. Good to good to be with you all virtually, uh, Dr. Tom. Good to hear from you and and uh, Sarah and Bob, Julie. Um, well, we we really have a health commissioner, Penny Cottle, who of course works for the county uh, structure, uh, and Penny Cottle and her team, along with IU Health, Brian Shockney and his team, uh, are the key health advisors here. Um, and they've been leading the the kind of the science and health medical side of this uh, for quite some time, and and thank goodness for that. Uh, as as Tom mentioned, um, you know we have we haven't seen the the some of the impacts of some of the larger cities, but we know the virus is here. Um, we know the numbers are way smaller than people infected because we're just not testing people. So those testing numbers uh, can often just reflect, the confirmed cases can often just reflect where the testing's happened uh, and where the disease has caused people to get to the hospital. But we know there's a lot of coronavirus here in Monroe County. And so these these efforts to uh, socially distance or physical distance uh, are so important. Uh, and there, we can talk a lot about what's happening with that. Uh, but But protecting our community and our health system by by the uh, physical distancing is so important. And it's, I was, anyway, I was walking yesterday and, you know, it's going to be really important for everybody to understand that even our young people, some of whom are back now from being away from spring break uh, and to understand, even if you don't feel it yourself, it's so important that you, you protect the whole community by that, um, by that physical distancing. All right, Julie, what, what, what's the county up to? Well, um, yes, indeed. Uh, thank you uh, for inviting us to be here. Um, we are relying on uh, Penny Cottle and we're relying on um, IU Health to continue to give us these important updates. Um, we do have uh, calls every day um, with not only Ms. Cottle, but also Allison Moore, our emergency manager. And, um, and so that's been... Um, that's been the source of our ongoing and most up-to-date information. And, and I would encourage anybody who's looking for um, valid and fact-checked information to, to check in with the um, Monroe County uh, Health Department website. Just go to co.monroe.in.us. We know there's a lot of information out there on social media that's not always accurate. And I know people are really hungry for information, but we don't have it uh, for a lot of, of a lot of the questions that are coming up, especially about what the future holds. We're just uh, doing our best, but everything that's on that website is has been verified. And also you can check in with the CDC and the Indiana State Department of Health as well for updated information. Um, that way you know it's accurate and not relying on um, your well-meaning friends on Twitter and Facebook. Um, but uh, for Monroe County government, we went ahead with our continuity of government plan and uh, we closed down our um, um, buildings to the public um, on, boy, we started that on St. Patrick's Day. So it's been, it feels like it was five years ago, but it was just um, a very short time ago. Um, and what we're doing is is working to ensure that essential government functions are operating without endangering our staff um, and without endangering the public as well. And so we've we've maintained that social distancing that way as best as we can. So that's what we have been doing. And, and then some work to try to help um, uh, serve the needs of the people in our community. And we can talk about that later. Yeah, I wanted to just get to that. I mean, so what have, uh, I know county government and city government both have taken some steps to provide for people that are going to hit some really difficult economic times. So could you outline some of those things? And Julia, let's just keep going with you. Sure. 
Um, so one of the things that occurred very early on uh, was the um, United Way um, helped form a coalition that included the Bloomington Economic Development uh, Corporation and of course United Way, but it involves um, the school system and um, county government and city government's been involved. And we've all been on these calls um, uh, every, every week. And what happens for, uh, for us is that we decided that we didn't want to, uh, they've, they've got themselves up and running. We decided we wanted to do what we could to support them. So we have um, given them some initial funding to help them. Um, and that was $25,000. Um, and we also uh, gave a direct um, uh, funding, uh, responded to a direct funding request from the Hoosier Hills Food Bank. Uh, because they were in a position where they could buy some emergency uh, food uh, products and they had a very short window in which to do it. So we responded immediately to that. Um, so by declaring an emergency in the county, we have the ability to, to, to respond immediately to those bigger asks. And we've also worked um, with the Food and Beverage Tax Advisory Commission to um, free up some of the uh, food and beverage tax revenue that came in um, to the county outside the city uh, to help businesses and uh, their employees. Um, these are businesses related to tourism. And so we have on our website now the information and um, a rolling application that we're using uh, just to get uh, funding requests in. Um, and you can go to the uh, Monroe County website and find that information very quickly. It's also on the commissioner's page as well. So we encourage those businesses that are really struggling um, with the short-term financial loss um, to contact us and let us know what help they need. And we're going to be continuing to assess those needs and responding to them on a rolling basis. Okay, uh, Sarah, do you have something you want to? We add? got a question from Sarah, and this fits into what Julie was talking about. Uh, Sarah asks, "What plan does the city have to meet the growing needs of the most vulnerable?" And then she goes on to say, "Not including what social services are doing." I really want to know what the city itself is going to do. All right. Sure. Uh, thanks. Thanks for the question. Um, <clears throat> yeah, there's. These are unusual times, uh, and the health the health lane, if you will, that active uh, effort is is front and center to try to make sure we're doing everything we can to help the medical response and the the health focused response to diminish the overall impact and potential death uh, and and sickness uh, from the coronavirus. Um, but absolutely, there. We've actually, from the city, uh, as Julie mentioned, uh, there's been a number of uh, emerging efforts, uh, and from the city, we've felt it really important to try to get those efforts aligned, um, both in the social service side and the economic side. Kind of so, if you think about the health being the front and center, uh, there are really at least two areas where we need to pay very close attention and, and have interventions ready. For the social safety net and the and the economy side, with so many people out of work and so many institutions, businesses at, at, in, in serious threat, so the city has stood up a couple uh, work groups uh, to really try to align all that work. And I'll just mention briefly on the social service side, and I'll be talking more about this this afternoon and next week too. But the social service side, kind of the leading philanthropies. Um, have come together and are developing an intervention plan that will really look at um, uh, housing needs. We, we, we know we need to help people who have housing problems, whether they don't have a home, they're homeless, or whether they have a home that's not safe to isolate in if they're sick or, or need to be isolated. So figuring out how as a whole community, we can integrate our services on that. The, this, the issue of food security, Julie mentioned, um, you know, Hoosier uh, Hills, there's of course a number of food security institutions and and kind of trying to line up services for that and then third uh, area is child care we have a lot of workers essential workers in the health field and public safety and others who with schools out with a lot of child care centers closed trying to make sure they can do their jobs on behalf of all of us uh, so that group is working uh, the city is providing some staffing to them and i'll get to money in just a second and then on the economic development side 
Uh, similarly, you know, we know there's a lot of federal and state help on the way, uh, both for people who've lost jobs, who have lost income and instant businesses and nonprofits that face the same. And uh, we've stood up a group uh, of, of folks locally to really develop uh, an aligned, coordinated response to that. The city, uh, just uh, Wednesday night, the city council uh, asked for $2 million of um, food and beverage tax, uh, and the economic group is looking at other city sources as well as other governmental sources and private sources for that uh, on the economic side and on the social service side. Uh, we too contributed uh, to the first round of those emergency grants. And I think you're going to see requests coming to government from that coordinated group that will ask county, city, others, uh, private sector to contribute to a coordinated effort on the social service. And I'm, I don't doubt that this community will come together and help support that. All right. Thanks. If, if uh, I want to give our listeners our ways to contact us today, you can, Send us questions at news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Not taking phone calls. Uh, we've had lots of technology involved in getting everybody together today to answer questions about coronavirus. We have um, Julie Thomas, the president of the Monroe County Commissioners, with us, as well as Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton and Dr. Tom Rasmalis from the IU Health Southern Indiana Physicians. Uh, he is a specialist in infectious disease. Dr. Ismalis, we've had lots and lots of uh, questions from people um, about health-related issues, and I'm going to probably ask you, I'm going to ask you three or four now, and then we'll sprinkle them in as the show goes along. Some of these you may be able to answer, some of these you may be able to direct people to where they can get an answer. Uh, one person asked us, what are the true symptoms of the coronavirus? I have had dry cough, and I have coughing fits now and then until I actually vomited so i know you can't diagnose this person but. Uh, certainly but from the standpoint of, of symptoms the initial symptoms that we were screening for were the presence of fever uh, the presence of a dry cough and symptoms of shortness of breath it fairly rip quickly became apparent that there were people who had atypical symptoms who had other symptoms than just those particularly much milder symptoms or even being asymptomatic so the other symptoms that are particularly worrisome would be um, uh, diffuse myalgias, sore throat, uh, nausea, diarrhea. Those atypical symptoms also may be due to coronavirus. And so it does make it hard to diagnose it. And so you get to you get into sort of to a clinical judgment syndrome. You know, what is coronavirus and what is something else? Um, interestingly, countrywide, if you look at the tests that are done on symptomatic patients, the vast majority of them do not show coronavirus. They show, you know, you might be able to identify some other illness, but not knowing without easily, frequently, you know, available testing with rapid results, we're left with the best we can do would be to make clinical judgments based on uh, how close those symptoms match. Um, I guess I would say to most people who have a stuffy nose or runny nose or things of that sort, you likely have a cold, not the coronavirus, the COVID-19, but it's, it's not easy to make the distinction and understand that creates a lot of anxiety. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to ask a couple more of these specifics and, you know, your answer might be the same, but I just want to see yeah. if, if it strikes anything different. So since late December, I had pain in the chest and back, getting hard to breathe, running temp uh, 100 to 100.7. I'm 76 years old. Should I get tested? Well, I think you mentioned in that scenario that uh, the, the symptoms have been going on for quite a while, um, since maybe late December. Is that what you right. said? Right. Yeah. yeah so that would not be that would not be so worrisome because most people would uh, develop other symptoms or would or would resolve and be better by then. You know, let me say a few words about the testing because I know. You know, that's what, where a lot of this is directed to, you know, why, you know, if we could test people, we wouldn't have a lot of these people wondering about that. And the issue there is just simply availability. The initial test that was available to the State Board of Health um, was very limited and they had limited capacity and we just couldn't uh, get it done. Thank very much to Indiana University and to Eli Lilly with the development of their own tests, 
which have now allowed us to test at least specific groups of people. So anyone who's hospitalized, we can test. Um, the reason for doing that really relates to one, making a diagnosis so you know whether how to treat them, but also relates to the supply issue. You know, you've heard all about shortage of masks or shortage of equipment and shortages of things of that sort. Um, before we had readily available testing for the people who were ill in the hospital, we were isolating a lot of people because we, they had suspicious symptoms. And it would turn out the vast majority of those did not have coronavirus, and yet we were using up a lot of supplies to take care of them. So testing uh, inpatients who are ill was sort of the first priority. And then the second priority is testing healthcare workers so we don't spread the infection unawares to vulnerable populations. And that's available now too. So symptomatic healthcare workers can be tested. And of course, the third and fourth steps in this, which we hope we all hope come around soon, is testing ill people who are outpatient, who are not sick enough to be in the hospital, and then just doing more type of screening to know how extensive this is in the in the community. So, okay, that, and just uh, you know, along those lines, I mean, that's all very that's great information. People have, you know, every individual has, seems like has some kind of question. Here's another one that about health specifically. I have asthma, and I'm over sixty years old. Should I be should I be going to work? Um, those are uh, those are good questions. There are certain risk factors that put people at increased risk of having more uh, serious infection, including elderly age, immunosuppressive condition, chronic lung disease, and so forth. And so, if you have those conditions that might place you at increased risk, as much as is possible you would want to main, especially maintain the social distancing and protect yourself from doing a lot of face-to-face -face work, uh, you know, with other colleagues and so forth, that those people would be at increased risk. You know, the social distancing and this, the home court, uh, the, the stay-at-home orders, they work only if everyone is doing it. You know, if you have half the population not doing it, it's not going to be effective. Uh, there's studies out there that suggest you really need, you know, 80% plus of the population uh, really being uh, diligent about those things in order to stop transmission. Okay, well, I'll be back to you uh, soon with a whole bunch more questions, but I, I want to go back to um, Commissioner Thomas and uh, Mayor, uh, Mayor Hamilton. And uh, we had one question come in. It was from somebody from another county that said their county I put a, a stay-at-home order in place until sometime in May. The state came around and put its order in place. Uh, our, no, sometime in March. And the, the state's stay-at-home order goes until April 7th. The question was, does the state's order supersede any, any uh, orders like that that the city or the county might put into place? Sure. Short answer is yes. The state um, overrides, and and it, you know, if we did not have a stay-at-home order, the state order would apply to us. We can, uh, of course, the state may extend it. Uh, I would not be surprised if they do. Uh, we can, uh, we could extend it locally, even if the state does not. And that's something to think about. Not not being a doctor, I don't want to respond to the individual request about the person with asthma, but. Under the stay-at-home order, you know, generally the the order is do not go to work uh, unless you're part of an essential business like healthcare, pharmacies, grocery stores, police, fire, uh, etc. And there's numbers of others, but generally you should not be going to work if at all possible at this time. Uh, so, uh, and those orders could be extended either by the state for the whole state or by locales for our own jurisdictions. All right, Julie, you have anything you want to add? Sure. Yeah, and, and uh, the mayor's absolutely right. That's exactly how it works. And uh, the uh, governor's orders are all listed on the, the uh, state website um, if you're interested in that. And it, and it lists out what, what are considered essential businesses as well for those who are curious. Um, but we have our own local... Uh, emergency order in place um, and it ran through April 1st and we just extended it uh, this week to run through April 16th. There's no magic in these in these dates. We're just guessing 
we can always rescind an order if if you know the the skies opened up and there was some wonderful miracle. Um, but we can uh, always extend it as we need to as well. And we are all just guessing. And I and I can appreciate the sense of confusion because there are a lot of different dates floating around. Uh, but just take it week by week is my advice. Um, and if you're not sure, you can always uh, just check at the state's website or the county's website to see what where we're at at any given time. And that goes for any county in the state of Indiana. Okay, Sarah? I feel like we've gotten a lot of specific questions about activities and whether people are allowed to do them. Uh, I think this one is probably for you, Julie, just somebody wondering if they're still allowed to go fishing. Um, if Do they have to go to a place where nowhere, no one else is fishing, or do they just have to stay a great distance away from the other person, or are they even allowed to travel to go fishing? Uh, that is such um, an interesting question, and one of the essential uh, areas of business relates to food and food manufacturing. So if you are fishing in order to eat, I imagine, this is just my rough guess here, because I'm not an attorney and I didn't write the, the governor's order, but my guess is that if you are, are fishing in order to supply food for you and your family that you can do so but yes please be in the boat alone <laughs> please go to the dock alone um and uh please practice uh social distancing all along the way um there are a number of of um businesses that are listed as essential businesses that may surprise you for example auto um auto repair but um, and, and office supplies and computer and audio sales, but all of those things have to do with working at home or ensuring that your vehicle can get you to uh, groceries, to get groceries or medicine. So um, the list is long, but it is on the um, Indiana website, coronavirus.in.gov, and you can see the order and you can see the whole list there if anybody's curious. And uh, yeah. And I want to second. I want to second that as well, this, uh, just because you know I've looked at that too. I think I think Mayor, you're probably going to talk about it as well because I know you have it there in front of you. But uh, it's it's a very uh, thorough list, although it can't cover everything. So there's there's still going to be questions. But here here's the thing I would say, um, and and the governor, like many governors, though not all governors, the the main message is to stay at home, unless you were working for an essential business, and that's a big list, and, but that's to, to, to work for that business, or you are doing an essential activity. And um, yes, getting food and getting medicines and uh, such things are essential activities. And getting exercise, we, 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 we are not discouraging people from staying healthy, um, but you're not, you really should be staying home uh, except for those purposes. So um, uh, I, I would, I don't want to underestimate as, as the, the good doctor said, getting the, the significant majority of people just not to interact is the real key to, to helping tamp down the spread of this virus. So I, rather than look for an excuse to say whether this, I can fit this under a guideline, I think it would be a lot better to just listen to saying, unless you're working for an essential business or you are doing an essential activity, it's really good to stay home during this period because that's what's going to help us overall. Uh, and and uh, anyway, so I'd, I'd just leave it at that, I think. Do you okay, think Sarah, our list of essential businesses is, is too big? I mean, as we're looking at it, even compared to just other states. And, yeah. Well, I, I, um, they, they are. It is really tricky to to name these things, uh, and I know the governor has thought, I'm sure, uh, hard and looked at other states, um, uh, and that may change over time. Uh, the, the the precise definition of it, uh, but uh, you you can check that. I think I think we're what we're trying to do is let the economy continue so that we don't have a complete freezing of any economic activity and wages and and such, um, but also major tamp down of the interactions. And so 
I'm, I'm not going to second guess every every little definition of uh, of a business, but let's. I think if we all try to stay at home as much as we can, uh, uh, except for those who are working, and I'm like, I'll, I'll thank right here the 700 plus city workers doing so many essential services. We appreciate them, like healthcare workers, like grocery store clerks, like pharmacies and delivery people uh, who need to be out there to help us all get what we need. But uh, the rest of us, if we can, really staying home is is really helpful for the community's future. Uh, Mayor, I have a follow-up on that because one of the things that's in the, the governor's order, it talks about the fact that people can, can walk, ride their bikes, hike, um, run at will, and they can go to parks. Can't go to playgrounds are shut down, but they can go to parks. Um, you know, it doesn't mention golf courses, but I know that, you know, the golf course is open cascades golf course. And we did have one question from somebody wondering, you know, if that was a good idea, because even though there are guidelines in place, this person said, and I haven't been out there to verify it, that people do stand around together and they, um, they, they do ride more than one in a cart. Can you respond? Sure. Uh, I know there are protocols. I haven't been out to the golf course myself either. Uh, I've been sequestered at home or taking walks uh, and getting exercise where I can appropriately. Um, There are major new protocols, one to a cart, uh, uh, physical distancing um, protocols in the the clubhouse, um, et cetera. And, And that's a work in progress, but, you know, we're trying to balance. It is important for people to get out, get, get fresh air, uh, not go all of us go crazy in our homes um, and we will continue to evaluate that but each you know the playgrounds are closed as are the as are the uh, fitness stations uh, but trails are open parks are open uh, the community the, the the outdoor space is open uh, but each of those we look at uh, frankly on a daily basis um, and we're in touch with parks in California and parks departments uh, around the country to try to identify the best way to keep people uh, healthy, but also uh, manage to protect our, our, our resources that we have. I want to turn back to Dr. Rasmalis and ask a couple more of these medically related questions that we have. One is, um, how is COVID-19 being treated as far as medication? I mean, is there is there a treatment to try to lessen the effects? So there's no FDA-approved treatment, but there is data from uh, China and Europe, uh, and and some data for locally as well, suggesting medicines which might be effective. Some of this is uh, in vitro laboratory data, and there is some data from uh, patients that have been published as well. So yes, there are some there are some medicines that seem to uh, be effective in uh, in treatment. We don't know that for sure because the studies haven't been done, but. Uh, uh, the medicines that are most commonly being cited are the medicines that have been used for malaria, like hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine. Um, uh, There are some uh, uh, investigational drugs, uh, remdesivir, which is uh, an investigational compound. And so, yes, those are uh, being investigated. The uh, anti-malarial drugs are FDA approved for the treatment of other conditions, including malaria, as well as autoimmune conditions like lupus and so forth. So those drugs are already FDA approved for those indications and are available um, for treatment. So as as far as there's another question here that has to do with uh, different types of people that seem to be testing positive for it. Um, And I guess other than what's been said all along that people who are above the age of 60 people who have pre-existing conditions, have there been any other things that have come out um, after testing has ramped up to determine this one question, for instance, says, are there any of the positive COVID-19 cases, marijuana users? That was the specific question. Are there, are there subsets of people that are being identified? Um, I don't know about marijuana. In general, people who smoke cigarettes, there appears to be some increased risk. But regard, you know, with respect to uh, all those, um, you know, at-risk groups and so forth, I think as people have seen from watching national news and so forth, uh, when they talk about NBA basketball players, when they talk about other individuals, there are plenty of people 
who have tested positive in certain areas of the country who have minimal or no symptoms at all. So um, uh, we don't know why some people outside the described groups, the elderly and the immune impaired and, so, and people with chronic lung disease and hypertension and heart disease, why do some people outside those risk factors, um, some of them might get more severe disease? Uh, there may be genetic components or maybe other things, um, uh, but we really don't know at the moment. Okay, Sarah? I'm not sure if this is a question that's best meant for you, Dr. Hasmalis, or even for Julie, but um, after somebody has tested positive for the virus, what is the process um, for, for locating everyone who could have come into contact with that person, say if this happened in Monroe County? Doctor, can you? Uh, um, okay. They, the, the, and the initially, then the um, the public health folks will identify a case and try and identify uh, who might else be at, be at risk. The the difficulty is when you start to get a lot of community transmission. Let's say up in Marion County, as you can imagine, that gets to be very difficult. How can you track down? How can you trace who the, the the folks are? And even in Monroe County, we're having situations where we suspect there are lots more cases than we have detected because we haven't been testing the community members. So it makes it it makes it doubly difficult. And with limited testing ability, then what do you do with that information? Um, if you can't go out and test, uh, you know, a lot of contacts or acquaintances or uh, things like that, what do you do? So it is problematic. I wanted to, wanted to ask you, doctor, about um, there was a report yesterday that, that several of the leading health organizations had come up with some new evidence about um, how long the, the virus can live. And I think in this evidence, is it something about um, it living for up to three 30 minutes to three hours in the air? Can you address that and say... You know, should that make people nervous? Um, I don't think so in the sense that a lot of these studies are done in an artificial fashion. So they aerosolize a virus into the air and then see how long they can detect it. And the level, how long you might be able to detect it doesn't necessarily cor correlate to how long it is infectious. It looks like the majority of transmission occurs by respiratory droplets which are things that don't hang in the air for long periods of time. Um, the exception would be when a patient has an aerosol, an aerosol generating procedure. Let's say they have, uh, you know, need to get intubated or they, uh, in a critical care unit, that might generate aerosols that last longer in the air. But most individuals are uh, coughing droplets that don't hang in the air for uh, any appreciable period of time and don't travel more than so many feet. Um, the aerosol issue is always a concern. And that's why in the hospital for most typical patients, regular sort of surgical masks are used. And then if aerosolized procedures are being done, a higher level of, uh, of uh, protection uh, is used. And then along with that goes is the issue with how long these viruses may survive on surfaces. Um, there was some data published that suggested on dry surfaces like cardboard, um, the half-life was in the matter of a few hours uh, and it could be detected for as long as a day, but after that it would not be detectable. Uh, on harder surfaces, on plastic and so forth, uh, it could survive for longer time. So, but All it right. doesn't appear that that is the major route of transmission. We, we, we want to sanitize, we want to be clean, we want to wash our hands and all that um, because it can be transmitted that way. Uh, but um, uh, the okay. respiratory route seems to be the major route of transmission. This is another question for you, Dr. Hismalis. This is from Don. He says, we are a couple staying at home, only going into town about every two weeks for groceries or the pharmacy where only one of us goes into the store, but at home, do we need to be practicing social distancing 
which frankly seems impossible unless you have a very large house. <laughs> yeah, um, it seems like they're doing a very good job. Um, and uh, 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 in that kind of a situation, uh, it would be unlikely for one individual to spread it to the other inside the same household. And just what you said is an issue, you know, how many people have homes large enough where, you know, one person could be here and one person can be there. We've run into that issue when we've had people with suspected coronavirus who we've recommended that they go home and self-isolate. And, you know, sometimes their homes are not really adequate to separate themselves from other family members. But in the situation that you described, I don't think I would be worried about that. So I want to go back to our government officials, uh, Julie Thomas and and Mayor John Hamilton. I'd like for you to talk uh, about the role that some of the local business community has played in uh, trying to help people, you know, get get through this very difficult time. John, you want to go first? Sure, sure. Thanks. Um, yeah, it's it's really encouraging in these challenging times to see the way people come together and step up. Uh, we've seen places from the largest uh, places like Indiana University and Cook who have um, taken on major roles uh, in terms of some of the science and health challenges. Uh, Cook is, I understand, trying to figure out how to re-sanitize some of the personal protective equipment uh, to, to multiply its, its value and its usability. IU is continuing to do research on, on testing and, and making facilities available. I know, for example, uh, there are some healthcare workers that are looking at maybe they don't want to drive home after a long shift to a, multi, a county or two away. And I use looking at how they can help them stay in town. That's something they actually happen to have a lot of dorm space available right now. Um, and then to smaller uh, local companies, I know uh, in the food business, there's an extraordinary amount of the restaurants and, and caterers and others who are, who are hard at work trying to make sure they help support not only the, paying customers who they want to help uh, with food, but also the, some of the folks, households that are in real need in the community to make food available at low cost or no cost, um, uh, using their expertise and their facilities uh, to do that um, from uh, businesses that are offering to figure out how to meet needs every day. Uh, and again, as Julie mentioned, this has been going on uh, for, for a number of weeks. And, um, we encourage folks, there's a, there's a volunteer network. You can do that on the city website. I'm sure there are others uh, where, where people can step up to want to, want to be a, a direct volunteer, either as a, as an individual or as an institution. Uh, we, we really welcome that. And it's great to see the community doing so. I know I just saw the other day that Cardinal's doing a, Every every noontime they do an online uh, cabaret where they'll give you a little entertainment just each day because it's it's sometimes hard to keep keep normal rhythms and and keep our perspective on things. So uh, we really appreciate the way people step up uh, in so many different ways. All right, Julie, anything to add? Well, I would <clears throat> I would agree with all of that. It's amazing to see how our community comes together, um, and it is it is inspiring <clears throat> to to see this response from our business community, from individuals in our community who are, are stepping up and, and volunteering in new ways. Um, and I would recommend that if anyone has, uh, knows folks in the community that are older, uh, that should not be out, especially um, anybody who's immunocompromised, that, that you reach out to them by phone, see how they are, and uh, see if you can help them in some way to make their life a little bit better, a little bit easier. Um, but we are all together in this. We're and it's and it's uh, it's really ironic because we're all together while we're social distancing. Um, so we we don't we don't visually see us all together. But I do know that there is some some great stuff going on in this community, and I applaud all the restaurateurs who are making sure that they have food available for carryout. Um, who have changed their business plan over and over and over again. It seems like every day of the week they have to meet new challenges um, and they're doing all they can to keep uh, their staffs employed 
Uh, but that's not always possible. And that's why we're, we're trying to help with that short-term solution until the longer term, uh, long range help become, becomes available from the SBA, from the state and from the federal government. So, uh, but I really appreciate what everybody's doing to look out for one another in our community. And that's going to be, that's going to have to continue for quite some time. Okay. We don't have I, a lot of time left. I want to give, I want to give our phone or our, uh, Ways to contact us again in case there's a last minute question that comes in. News at indianapublicmedia.org or at Noon Edition on Twitter. John, did you have something to add? I was just going to say um, I do encourage people to apply for unemployment insurance. Uh, that has substantially changed. It's available to part time workers, it's available to recent workers, it's available to uh, self employed and gig economy and uh, it's really important to to go ahead and try to get that uh, application in. If you're anybody who's lost uh, lost wages or diminished wages, uh, please do file because that's important to get that help flowing into our community. We've had some questions about uh, the most one of the most vulnerable populations, people who are in homelessness. Uh, uh, what I know that there are certain things that the city and the the county are doing. But one of the questions that we got had to do with, you know, do you have some facilities that could be put to use? And the one specific one that was mentioned in one question was the Banneker Center. Sure. Um, you know, there are empty facilities all over our community now, um, whether it's a place like Banneker or Twin Lakes or IU Recreational Facilities or the Convention Center. And we have a lot of space, dormitories, uh, et cetera. And absolutely, we are working day and night to identify how to create safe uh, isolation and living uh, conditions, quarters, areas for folks um, uh, that we, we need to do it safely. But it is a huge and pressing need. It's, it's front and center for this social services work group to know that whether you're at Wheeler Mission or you're at Shalom or, or another or, or couch surfing, it's really important for all of us and for that person, if they, if they have health issues, if they may feel sick, get sick, that we have a place to, to take them. And we're working very hard on that with our social service folks. Uh, you know, there are a lot of empty hotels in town, too, for goodness sake. There are not many people moving around to, to private hotels. So that is a, an imminent and very important, a, a very timely question. And we're working very hard on that uh, to identify the right places to help people who who need uh, their own home to be. We continue to, you know, continue to try to build more housing for folks. But in this short, immediate term, uh, that is a front and center question that's getting addressed uh, every day. Okay. All right, Sarah. Another question that we got about construction, and I think I think what the person is really asking about is, is that something that is essential right now? And they cite the speed bump in front of Mother Hubbard's cupboard that's being installed this week as just one construction project going on around Bloomington. Yes, uh, I'll, I'll take that. Um, the governor's order at the state uh, explicitly identifies construction projects as essential services, primarily, I think, because those projects, as they can be done with appropriate physical distancing, are one of the ways we can keep payrolls going, keep the economy going. Um, and the city has several construction projects underway, public construction projects, and whether we do that ourselves with our own employees or whether they are contracts being done, uh, particularly those, those, that part of the economy is, is deemed an essential service just to keep, keep some of the economy going. Now, you know, that, that could change, uh, but you'll look around town and you'll see the IU hospital, the new site They're they're continuing construction on the new hospital and a number of new buildings and, uh, road projects, uh, the Department of Transportation in the state is continuing its efforts. And so we are part of that public uh, and private construction, trying to keep uh, as many people working safely as we can in those essential businesses. Just a couple more health questions uh, for Dr. Rasmalis. Uh, one, and these are things we, we have covered before, but I just want to get your take on it because we keep getting questions. Restaurant deliveries, restaurant pickups. I mean, how how safe is it? 
you know, everyone uh, worries about, uh, you know, my, you know, what might I touch? What might I pick up? You know, and, and not only restaurant deliveries, they worry about uh, the mail or packages that come and uh, so forth. Um, the chance of getting it from any of those mechanisms would be very low, very, very low. And so I don't think that there should be a problem with restaurant pickups. What I would encourage you to do would be to um, uh, wash your hands and, uh, you know, be sanitary in that fashion. But I think the risk of getting infected via that mechanism, if you're clean, you wash your hands, uh, you should be okay. Okay. And then one other that's very similar, can the virus be transmitted through foods like lettuce, a food that would be very difficult to wash with soap for 20 seconds? Uh, it should not be. Um, you know, lettuce would be obviously ingested and uh, the virus receptors that uh, uh, to, to, for something like that to happen, you'd have to have somebody contaminate the lettuce and then, you know, it'd be a certain duration of time. These get to be very, very remote, remote, uh, unlikely possibilities. So okay. I would not be concerned about it. Thank you so much. We're going to have to leave it at that. I think we are, our hour went by very quickly today. I want to thank Dr. Tom Rasmalis, Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton, Monroe County, Pre the President of Monroe County Pu Pu uh, Board of Commissioners, Julie Thomas. We've had a lot of help on this program today. First of all, my co-host Sarah Whitmire, producers Benta Boutier and John Bailey, bunch of engineers who helped, Mike Pashkas, Matt Stonecipher, George Hopstetter, Stetter, and Kate Crum. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, Fiber Internet, Streaming TV, Home Security, and Automation in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. Support for WFIU comes from Oliver Winery, featuring Indiana-grown estate-bottled wines such as the Dry Red Crimson Cabernet or Semi-Sweet Pink Catawba, the Creek Bend Collection, available online at oliverwinery.com.